Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today with Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen in Huibani, Scotland. Did you leave out the as always since you're not always joined by Jason with both of us in Scotland? Yeah, I left it out because it's not always in Scotland. Just we are always, but just not always in Scotland. Can't disagree with that. That is factually accurate. Mm-hmm. I applaud you for that. Thank you. So what's new with you? I have <laughs> I've been spending way more time with you than I, I think I've ever have in my entire life. I wish the listeners could hear just how often you crack your fingers. It absolutely drives me to distraction. <laughs> I, I go home after these trips yeah. with PTSD. Anytime there's a crack, I'm like, oh, no, there's another nine coming. Oh, no, I it's, can't take it. It's a problem. I. It's the first time you've said that all week. <laughs> <laughs> well, the truth shall set you free. I, I crack my knuckles. I, I crack my knuckles. I tap. I'm, I'm always... I, my body needs to be doing... Something. I'm glad the listeners can hear all this because you have denied doing anything wrong all week long. Uh, I didn't say it was wrong. (laughs) I just said I do it. No, you just said I have a problem. Normally problems are bad things to have as opposed to good things. We don't go searching for problems in the whiskey industry, even though they find us. They do find us. Early and often. I wouldn't say early or often. That's interesting that you would say that. I feel like we overcome problems every day of the week. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you make it sound as if it's like it is a world full of problems. Yes. And that's all we're doing. Yes. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. I think that is accurate. Huh. Yeah. You're the great optimist. I'm the great pessimist. I see lots of problems. You see lots of opportunities. I view a problem as an opportunity to do better, get better. That's because you're a crazy person. No, I just, I know, I know how to deal with the problem presented to me. I do not know how to deal with problems presented to me. That is very true. And that, sir, is a problem. (laughs) Which apparently, according to you, is a good thing. (laughs) Huzzah! And the cycle continues. (laughs) I'm glad the listeners could join us for that one. (laughs) They could just play that part over and over and over again. <laughs> I know I will. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, week in Scotland, all over the darn tootin' place. But we didn't start our week in Scotland. Wait, I mean, I, we didn't start our time together as a week in Scotland. No, we didn't. We even had additional company where we started this week in Tuscany with our wives. That is correct. And that was a good five days. We were there for my brother's wedding, I should say. We didn't just go on vacation together. <laughs> then that would be nice. Yeah, it worked out great. No yeah. kids. That was the absolute best part. Company was great, but no kids was fantastic. Uh, so, so yeah, so Tuscany, then onto Scotland, then all around Scotland, uphill, down dale, round corners. Weather's been lovely for us, which tends to happen when we come to Scotland. All this complaining about the weather in Scotland, I, I think is a No, I'm looking out at the sky right yeah. now and it's glorious. As blue as could be. There may be a couple of Simpsons clouds in the sky, but other than that, it's, it's been nice. And we woke up the other day 
to... It's always a good day when I wake up. (laughs) (laughs) We woke up to whatever negative, not negative, we woke up to whatever four degrees Celsius is in Fahrenheit. Pretty low, somewhere around 40. But it was zero. Zero is 32. Yes. Yes. So so four four must be somewhere around. Somewhere around 40. 40. But it was cool, crisp air. You could see your breath as you... Beautiful. Breathed. Absolutely beautiful. Yep, some of my favorite days in Scotland. Those cold, crisp blue ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can really feel your nipples harden. <laughs> it's true. I really could feel your nipples harden. <laughs> not even laughing. I'm just. I stand by that statement. That was not a joke, <laughs> listeners. I stand by that statement. <laughs> so yeah. So we did. We did our five days in Tuscany. We got to see your brother Murray and his new wife. Nicola. Beautiful. Get married. Beautiful. I delivered the best man speech. You did. And I've got to tell you, it was cracking. Crackalacking. That's very kind of you. I fed that one to you on a plate. So thank you for gobbling it all up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what you gauged the length of what was it, a 16 minute best man speech? Oh, the length of the speech. Yes. That was about 16 minutes, 37 seconds. <laughs> Uh, terrific, terrific, terrific. So part of our time in Scotland actually involved a little trip south of the border. That's right, down to London Dune. And we got to hang out with a chap that we are uh, discussing in today's episode. Yeah, the we, good, yeah. yeah. We got to see the inimitable Billy Abbott mm-hmm. of the Whiskey Exchange. And That's a good use of the word inimitable. He, and he is inimitable. Yes. That is for damn sure. He is a wonderful, wonderful chap. Uh, spending time with him is always funny and elucidating and educational. And even just dipping into his encyclopedic knowledge of whiskey mm-hmm. is just a treat, an mm-hmm. absolute treat. What's interesting about him is he's, he's not from a whiskey family. No. He's not from a whiskey upbringing. No. He's not even from a whiskey education. No. He was a computer programmer. Yes. That was his, his dedicated life, as we tend to do in the UK. We start early, we decide upon a dedicated path, and we go in pursuit of it. Trouble is, you then get to a certain point in life where you have no qualifications to change your career. But, as I have done in the United States, mm-hmm. as Billy has done in Londinium, you can change your career if you are determined enough mm-hmm. and if you take charge of your own path. You interviewed him at Maltstock. Yes. Yeah, this was... So my Maltz, my Maltstock interview with him, I'm just trying to count in my head. I had one, two, three, four different interviews I did at Maltstock. And yes, he was he was one of the four. You asked him a question that you also asked Charlie McLean and Alex Bruce. Mm-hmm. And it's not a question that we've been asking people for the podcast. But at Maltstock, you... Well, let me ask you this. Since I've got you here in the room with me. Oh, oh okay. And since the sun is shining. Bright day, huh, bright boy? Sun is up. Shining on all of us. You, you took to asking people what was the spark that, that got them started on their whiskey journey. Mm-hmm. Given, as I just said a moment ago, that that hasn't really been a question. We've been asking people as part of the podcast what was it about your time at Mulstock that led to you asking that question of, of multiple interviewees? Yeah, the th- the thing uh, about Maltstock is the people that are 
going there. They're going there because I think whiskey is not only a, a passion for them, it is, it's a way of life. And if whiskey has become a way of life for you, whether it's something you are just dealing with every day because you're passionate about it, because your other friends are passionate about it or what have you, somehow there is a switch. There's something, if it's a way of life, how did that way of life start? You're presented with paths and you decided to choose one. And and I would say the people that were at Maltstock, though they were imbibing quite a lot and, and, and having good cheer and all that, I, I would say none of them were Alcoholics Anonymous material. Yeah. They all managed it. They were incredibly knowledgeable about it. And it wasn't just a drink that gets you from point A to point B. You walk around and you look at these people enjoying whiskeys and they're spending more time with their nose in in their glass rather than the glass to their lips. Yes. Right? And so if whiskeys become a way of life and potentially with some, a career like you, like me, like Billy, like Charlie, like Alex, like many people, what was it? What, what was that switch? And, and it just popped into my head looking at all these people saying, well, what set them on that path? Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, I, I see what you were seeing when you went to Maltstock. Obviously, this is the second year in a row you've been there. Yep. I've yet to be there. All signs point to both of us being there yes. next year. Mm-hmm. You better be there. And you said the first October of uh, the first weekend of October. Yeah, it's the first October of the first week of September. Don't try and think on your feet. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I failed. <laughs> uh, malt stock is always the first weekend of September. That would make sense because this is the first weekend of October, and you're <laughs> here in Glasgow with me. Yeah, I am not in malt stock <laughs> with Billy. Yeah, <laughs> who you interviewed apparently. <laughs> So with all of that said, here's you asking Billy what was the spark that got him into this whiskey life. Cool. Well, I've been a whiskey fan for years. I used to work in the the bar at my student union when I was in university. And I hate to give the guy credit for it. The the, the union president at the time, this guy called Eric. Hello, Eric. Um, uh, (laughs) As far as I know, he's now a motivational speaker in California. Hmm. But at the same time, he was basically a bit of a git. I didn't like him very much, and he didn't know what he was talking about. But okay. one night, he was running the bar, and after we finished work on a Sunday, he said, I'm going to teach you about whiskey, because you're all idiots who need to learn about whiskey. What a way to <laughs> put right, it. if you say so. <laughs> um, and so we, we tried the Diageo Classic Malt Selection. Yeah, nice. They were on a little podium behind the bar, so we tried them, and... It's very nice. This is this is this is good booze. I I, yes. I, I like these. At the time, was a uh, I was a rum and coke man. Okay, I, I lived entirely on overproof rum and coke, <laughs> and uh, yeah, also lots of real ale. I was very much a, a, a big beer fan. You're a beer guy. Yes, yeah. yeah. So very much from you know since a child, uh, I grew up on beer, mm-hmm. and so trying the, these whiskeys. Okay, oh, that's very nice. Very nice. Very nice. And then we hit uh, Talisker and Lagavulin, and yes. Talisker went. What the seriously? What is this? Yes. Yeah. What the fuck is going yeah, on right exactly. now? Exactly. Yeah. And then I tried like a villain and went, oh, yes. there we go. I'm sorted. Yes. yes. And uh, <laughs> my, my family, it, it, we're not particularly religious, apart from the fact that 
some of my family are quite religious and so oh, at christmas really? to, christmas time I, I i generally avoid them uh, because they're running around doing other things my mum's a uh, methodist lay preacher and so she's quite busy at christmas she's a preacher yeah so Christmas time, there's some busyness going on. So I, see, I, I, I leave them to it. I see why you and David Sturk get along with his father being a, a preacher at one time now. I mean, another reason to get along. But yeah. anyway, yeah. And so at Christmas time, I generally hide away from the family because they're busy. Mm. And so we do Christmas other times of the year. But um, so Christmas that year, when I tried the task of like a villain, I was staying in London on my own over Christmas, my first time ever. I bought a bottle of Talisker, a bottle of Lagavulin, rather than buying Christmas presents for anybody else. And so uh, I, yeah. I then drank them. They were very nice. Yes. Um, that pretty much cemented my love of whiskey. That's like 97, 98, around that sort of time. Okay. But I was just a fan. And I never really wrote about whiskey. I, I was a computer program. I didn't write. Mm. But I started sort of writing online a little bit mm-hmm. for live journal and having a chat with friends wow. of mine back, yeah, in, okay. back in those you know, good old days, you know, the yeah. early 2000s. And uh, then I sort of went from there to writing more and more. And uh, people <laughs> told me they liked what I was writing. And so I thought, eh, write some more. And then I uh, was involved with a, an event called the Blaggers Banquet. Okay. Because this whole sort of blogger, blagger sort of thing, you know, people who write blogs to try and get free stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And so um, back in 2009, I think it was, we did a an event called the Blaggers Banquet where we took over a big restaurant in London called uh, Hawksmoor. Mm-hmm. Fantastic steak restaurant. They just gave it to us on a Sunday night. And they wow. said, right, okay. Yeah. And we blagged all the food for free. We, we had supplies and said we're doing a charity event. Yeah. Uh, we, drank, we got a lot of drinks for free as well. Yeah. And we did a £50 a head dinner all right. Entirely made up from stuff which was cooked by bloggers um, for uh, charity water. Wow. Okay. And so fantastic. You know, like, you know, fifty people, fifty pound a head. You know, loads of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, friends of mine uh, who were, were playing in a band at the time, they came down provided like you know, compliments to the whole dinner. But we also had a bar, and so I was working on the bar because I did drink things more than food yeah. things. Yeah. And people said. You should probably just like write a blog about drinks. I went, maybe, okay. And so I woke up the next morning having done a lot of drinking, um, <laughs> having walked home. Uh, I live next door to Diageo HQ. Yes. And so I think I probably actually bought my first domain name for my blog while drunkenly sat on the floor basking in the red glow of Diageo HQ. <laughs> they have, have Diageo on the side of the building. Yes. Oh, I, I drove very, past very it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where I live. Yes. <laughs> it's not a nice it's place. Anyway. Um, it's such a strange place. It's a weird place to live. <laughs> but, um, and so ever since then, I, I started writing this blog called uh, Billy's Booze Blog. Yes. Because my name is Billy, and it's a blog, and it's about booze, and right. it worked. But trying to, trying to explain to people, blog. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was burblog.org.uk. Um, I changed it now to spiritedmatters.com, yes, which yes. is a very easy name to remember, but not so interesting. But so people couldn't remember it beforehand, but now they vaguely do. But that was my blog, and I still write it every now and again. But I'm just busy writing elsewhere now, yeah. because after about a year, I got the call and went to the whiskey exchange for a chat about maybe covering some whiskey tastings mm. and got a job full time. That's awesome. That's and great. 
it's slightly weird because uh, it's a glorious thing of I went to university for four years mm. don't be a big computer programmer and <laughs> then I f- after my interview with Whiskey Exchange I walked home the long way yeah a whole 10, 15 minutes walk yeah I phoned every member of my family pretty much just going yeah so <laughs> remember all that stuff you supported me through at university uh, <laughs> what about if I just like bin all of that and they went do we get a staff discount I said yes <laughs> brilliant go for it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. booze lovely <laughs> that's hilarious I had an interesting experience when when sitting in Billy's master class at Maltstock and during his master class he had six different whiskeys and he tasted all six of them blindly yeah. Right? So what what he would do is he would present the first one. He'd have a little bit of a story about it. He would ask people, you know, what are the flavors you're getting? Uh, you know, he, he wasn't doing how old do you think it is? What do you think the ABV is? You know, he was just trying to get people to, to think about the whiskeys, really. And so each whiskey was blind tasted. And... After the first whiskey, he would then reveal it. Then you go to the next whiskey and he would reveal it and he would pass the bottles around. So there's actually two two things I want to discuss here. The first part, what I found quite interesting was when casks are selected for the whiskey exchange and, and Billy is on the whiskey exchange tasting panel and when whiskeys go around, they typically don't know what whiskey they're tasting. So Kinder will find a whiskey he likes. Smart. And just puts it on their desk with a little thing that says, drink me. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good day at the office. What's the label under which they bottle at the Whiskey Exchange? Right. So they don't have their own label, really. They will work with Signatory, right? And Signatory will do... Such and such whiskey bottled for the whiskey exchange, or they will work with a distillery and that distillery will bottle something specifically for the whiskey exchange. You may, re- you may remember a little earlier this year, there was a single sherry cask of Old Pulteney that went on sale. I do. And I think it lasted all of 13 minutes, if that. Sounds like a familiar number. Right? That sounds kind of familiar. Power to them. <laughs> I was one of the lucky people to get a bottle. All right. Was it one per person? It was. It was one per person. That explains why I didn't get mine. Okay, right. carry on. Uh, <laughs> I would have. I would have gotten you one. I know you would have. But it was a a young single sherry butt. Yummy, by the way. But in the old Pulteney bottle. Yeah, in the old, old Pulteney, Pulteney bottle. Label. Label the whole thing bottled for the whiskey you know, exchange. Bottled for the whiskey exchange, and I think there may, there may be like a sticker on the tube or, or something like that. But what I found quite interesting, and, and Billy will explain it in a bit, is that they taste their samples blind, meaning not only do they not know the distillery or necessarily the type of cask or the ABV, but even more so with them being the folks that have to sell it. They don't know what the price is either, which I think can play a part when you're selecting casks as well. And so the way they select casks, which Billy will talk about, is also the way in which we tasted the whiskeys at his master class. And there was one whiskey in particular that I am telling you, it it 
it blew my mind. Firstly, because I just thought it was a great whiskey, but more importantly, because I thought it was from a distillery that I didn't think it was from the distillery that it actually was from. Perfect. Let's hear from Billy. At your tasting today, what I loved about what you did is you highlighted your exclusive bottlings. Yeah. And I think what I liked about that, or at least the stories that you told about it, and I found it quite interesting, is you'll taste a bunch of stuff that you like, but in the end, it almost sounds as if you're a bit of a filter or a buffer before that whiskey gets to Sekinder. Is that is that true? Sometimes yes, yeah, sometimes no. It's one of these ones where uh, I occasionally am involved in the selection process. Uh, I'm, I'm always involved in the promotion of the whiskeys after they've been bottled. Mm. But um, sometimes it comes through me first. But we have so many samples that come through, so many things. We you know, do we want to bottle this? That I do have the, uh, the the choice, the occasional anonymous sample thrust in front of my face, and it's like. <laughs> What do you think of this? And uh, yeah, so I, I, I like some things, like other, don't like other things, but I have n- never really known what it is I'm tasting, which is the whole point. It's all about what the quality of the whiskey is. And so in the end, though, it's also Kinder, is the, he is the, the marshal of all whiskeys that come through us. Yeah. So. so when he tastes the cask, does he know what it is? Or does he do it blindly as well? Generally, he knows what's going on because... Okay. Uh, the choice of commercial issues and all that sort of thing. You know, <laughs> what's the name on the bottle? Can we sell it? What's the age of it? And all that sort of thing. But the same, it, it's a glorious thing in the wonderful one whiskey that it's all about balancing the quality of the liquid against how we can sell it. Yeah. And you can have the most fantastic whiskey ever, but if it doesn't have the name, people aren't going to jump on it. It, it might sell slowly. Eventually, mm. people might notice it. You know, it's, it's that whole sort of balance of a how people will perceive the whiskey as well. It's a, it's a very, very weird world we live in. So, <laughs> But I think the example of the, it was the second to last that you did, the Balakin. Oh, yeah. Which I thought, nosing it and tasting it, I thought that it had to be a really well done Kalila. The Balakin is, is one of these weird sort of spirits where people don't want to like it. Mm. And in, in our tasting, we have Mark Watt from Cannonhead sort of like, you know, saying, I will buy a bottle of this. And when I told him what it was, he then started punching himself in the face. Um, but it, <laughs> it, it's one of the, it, it, yeah. I, I, try, I try to drop the back in, into tastings blind because there's so many preconceptions. I, when I do tastings in general, I try to do blind tastings because mm. preconceptions about whiskey and about flavors and about yeah. how things are going to run are just so entrenched in whiskey geeks and whiskey mm. fans that you need to sort of, you know, try and break people out of that and you know saying smoky Etrodower is nice is this thing people generally won't believe you at first and right you, know, maybe you drop that balakin in there and people go oh yes that's very nice well I, th- I think first off it takes a very particular and, and I don't mean to say this to say anything bad about Etrodower though there's there have been notoriously not great bottlings Indeed, by them. Yeah, yeah. They have their fans, and, and rightfully so. The, the people who, who like them love them. But I think a lot of people will see that and say, eh, and move on. Or, ooh, I remember that really bad one I had. And so do you see that reflected on your on your sales? Yeah, very much so. You know, the, 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 the Balkan 
we've, we've done some uh, Edge of Downs beforehand as well. We we did some sherry cask ones. Mm. We, we were walking around the warehouse, and it was, I've said to many people about it before, it, it was almost like a politeness that we tried them. It was just they said, do you want to try some of our whiskey? We walk around Signature's Warehouses, and there's some Edge of there because it's at Edge of where the warehouses course, are. Yeah. And we, so I said, well, okay, we'll try it. Smile, you know, fixed smile on face. <laughs> um, the first one we tried, we bought the entire cask because yeah. it, was, it was a fantastic sherry cask. It was young. It was just this brutal sort of sherry influence, which has just swamped the spirit and become fantastic. Yeah. And, but every year they are learning more and more about what they're doing. Mm. And the spirit is better and better and better and better. And, so when we had the chance of Blecken as well, you know the Blecken Twelve, sorry uh, Blecken Ten, mm-hmm. the original, the, the first release. Um, uh, Sekinder dropped it on my desk and said, "Try this. I know you will like it because he yeah. sort of knows what people in the company like." And uh, so I said, uh, "Yeah, I'll get around to it." He's like, "No, try it now. Try it." <laughs> so eventually, I, I got around to trying it and. At that point in time, I then wrote a blog post about it. I then uh, also went down to our shop and made it our month of the month for the, in the shop for wow, the, 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 you know, my name on the little tag around the neck of it. Uh, fantastic, really, really, really good smoky whiskey. But it's one of those ones that even you know me from a commercial point of view trying to sell things, mm-hmm. I wouldn't try it until the boss made me try it. Yeah, and then I went yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, maybe I should probably be more accepting of things. Yeah. yeah. I can see the value in tasting blind, especially because oftentimes with single casks, we're dealing with a, a more knowledgeable, maybe even a, a more educated consumer. Mm-hmm. And the biases that come in the door, mm-hmm. uh, I think Billy's story is is a perfect example of we have distilleries that we dismiss. We have distilleries that we ignore. We have distilleries that we just don't think are very good. Yeah. I've also seen it with people when faced with a name they've never heard of. The natural tendency is to assume that's not a good whiskey. Yeah. Because if that distillery produced good whiskey, I would have heard of it. And so yeah. when you walk in the door with an Altmore, you walk in with an Athrusk, just a couple of random examples, tea and Inic, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Who's heard of them, right? Nobody's yeah, yeah, heard of no them. Very, very few people. Not yeah. nobody. Okay. Very few people have heard of them. I think everybody listening to this podcast surely 100%. Has heard of them. I have no doubt about the, the education of our listeners. Yeah. Aldevania. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, it's <laughs> it actually sounds more like a blessing than a, anything else. And... And so I can see the value of sitting down. The, the problem that I run into personally when somebody gives me something blind is all possibilities are open to me. Mm. I don't know if this blind sample is peated or unpeated. I don't know if this blind sample is bourbon cask or sherry cask, right? Regardless of color, regardless of aroma, everything becomes possible to me. Yeah. My mind just completely opens yeah. uh, to, to the point of having no parameters, and I am terrible, terrible. You are, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your support. <laughs> uh, at naming distilleries blind. Um, our, our good friend Ben Weldy, who we've brought on oh tour many gosh, times, yes. is terrific. He is. Terrific blind taster. He's all rain man about it. Absolutely, yeah. And, and that is only meant as an ultimate compliment. And so I've... 246. So I love the fact that you could go into a blind tasting. You and I have done it. Our our Westland 2 that recently sold out on the website. Yeah. 
um, we would pour that for people and it would be uh, a five malt mash bill uh, distilled like a single malt, matured in new charred oak like a bourbon, bottled at two years old because mm. that that new charred oak just imparts so much color and flavor yeah, sure. so quickly. And we would pour that blind for people and they would absolutely love it. Oh, phenomenal. How wonderful is that? Oh, I love that pour. And then you would reveal that it was a two-year-old American single malt and somebody, suddenly nobody would like it. Mm. Uh, oh, actually, I thought it was a bit young. Yeah. Actually, I thought it was a bit raw. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. even yeah. if you get people away from their biases, as soon as you reveal it, they return to them. They re-embrace them. And so to, to do... A tasting where people, especially at malt stock, an incredibly knowledgeable attendee, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. F- for them to have that opportunity to say, "Okay, whiskey, yeah, let's get to know each other." Yeah, I think that's terrific. Yeah. So, power to Billy for for having the idea, carrying through on it, and I think I'm going to try and incorporate a little bit more blind tasting uh, in some of the things I do in America. I took advantage of you. <laughs> it's been a long week. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this. This is on two very different occasions. And the first time I went up to a bar, and I think actually both times we're at the Oren Moore. Oh, we've done it. A, yeah, we've done it a lot in Glasgow yeah. and Scotland and bars. <laughs> and yeah. that's mostly just to kind of impress people with a, with a blind pour rather than guess what this is. Uh, yeah, well, I, I did it. Just, just to see what you'd say. You did right? it last weekend. Did you do it last weekend? What I do? What I pour for you? The 1973 T at the Bonacord. Oh, the 1973 T You just handed out to us at the table and said, yeah, "You're welcome. Taste that. Tell me what you think." <laughs> and it was phenomenal. <laughs> well, the first time I ever did it, I had gotten a pour of what is my favorite blend currently. But is sadly no longer the old the B and J blend. Oh yeah, 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 yeah right. This Bailey guy. Nickel Jordan. Yeah, uh, Jarvie. Jarvie. Bailey Nickel Jarvie. Yeah, and it's got uh, a good amount of I think Glenn Morangy and Glenn Murray in it, and uh, and I poured it for you, and you were like, "Ooh, all right, what's that? Is that a Rosebank?" It's Lowland something. So, you you know, you were getting on there with those lighter flavors. and That's as close as I've ever been. I said, okay, all right. Yeah, he's, you know, he's got it. it he's wrong, <laughs> but I can see why he would go there. Very and, generous. Uh, and, and then it was revealed that it was a BNJ and then the, the uh, not B&J. a BJ. And then the other one you would have never gotten. So I went up and <laughs> I went up to the bar and I asked the barman or barwoman, I don't remember. The barkeep. The barkeep. And I said, could you give me a 50-50 pour of Lagavulin 16 and Lafroig 18? All right. To which they I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to bill you. <laughs> and I basically just begged them to figure out figure it out and would they do it and would they do it? And and I think they ended up just giving two full pours of both. Right? <laughs> that checks out. I know how to do it. <laughs> um, and so I, I poured it for you because this is one of my favorite pours. A 50-50 split of those two becomes, in my opinion, the creamiest. Uh, most beautifully textured, richly flavored Isla whiskey, which I lovingly refer to as Lafroy Gavulin. 
and uh, and poured that for you, and you didn't get it right, but you were pleasantly surprised. Right. Oh, glad I had nice things to say about it. But that's all. I mean, I, I think once you taste something blindly, you probably would have never ordered a BNJ blend no. for yourself, right? You, you probably... I would not have. And that's my point, is once you taste something blindly, it, like you had said, it, it opens up your mind. It just allows you to be 100% open to whatever's in your glass. Well, you also have to trust the people you're with. On his last trip to the United States, we had Ollie Chilton, the master blender at Port Tuskeg, mm-hmm. at your house, and we're tasting through many, many things. And I said, do you have the special Westland? Oh, yes. And you went away and you poured him a glass and he nosed it and started to get some of the weirdness on the nose and then took a nice big slug of it and got all of that Tabasco cask Westland <laughs> and looked like he was both going to throw up uh-huh. and punch our lights out. Uh-huh. Yeah, at the same time. <laughs> he was going to punch our lights out with his vomit. <laughs> it was it was shaping up in that direction. And uh, yeah, he hated that. That was that was not a nice thing for us to do. So, so yeah, when you pour blind for people, you will have to trust the people you're pouring for. <laughs> we had just met him too. <laughs> that was good times. Um, so, so, so what else do we have with Billy there? Well, I had asked him, well, let me, let, let me say this. You say um, this. Billy and I, I think, have a very similar problem. <laughs> Does he also crack his fingers incessantly and tap on things and continually keep their body moving? <laughs> Basically, I asked Billy about his his role with the whiskey exchange, which is an incredibly important role. And during that conversation, he and I <laughs> basically discussed the fact that his online presence there's no clear definition between when he's posting personal stuff and when he is posting the whiskey exchange stuff. You two definitely do share the same problem. Now, this is the one time where I think the only opportunity presented by this problem is to stop doing what I just said we do. To get off of Facebook. Every time you have 30 seconds spare, you're on Facebook. Because something could, could have happened. That's so not, just not the case. Someone could have posted something about a, a Supreme Court justice. That's just wrong thinking. Or about cats. <laughs> <laughs> Supreme <laughs> Supreme Court justices being appointed as cats. <laughs> I'll tell you, I would take a cat. <laughs> Uh, but let's hear Billy talk about his role with the Whiskey Exchange. And, and then we get, like I said, we get to talking a bit about our mutual problem of of, of being big Facebook users that uh, have a tough time with their work-life balance. So how are you going to do it? How am I going to do what? This is now an intervention, Joshua. <laughs> All of our listeners love you. Okay. We want to see you make healthy choices. Okay, okay. Uh, How are we going to get you off Facebook? So I think the first thing that I need to do is 
go on to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you think your followers might have some ideas? They might have some ideas. Oh, sorry, friends are friends are on Facebook. Yeah, what what did you call them? Followers. Follow. You I mean, know that's Twitter. I, t- I tell you though, Facebook also has followers. Like you, you will get notifications that so and so has started following mm. you. And so I get quite a lot of Facebook requests, which I, so here's one thing that, that I make sure of. I don't friend anyone that I haven't met before. And so I get a lot of people looking to follow me because I don't friend them. <laughs> if I haven't met you, right? I mean, I, I think we should be friends in life. Has that always been your policy to not friend people that you've never met? It's not always been my policy. It hasn't always been your policy. No, okay. it, ha- it hasn't. How did it work out? Not well. Not well. I, I went through a period where I was unfriending people I didn't know. How did you make the decision to unfriend them? Uh, am I making this public? <laughs> I just think it was a great system. Maybe some of our listeners might want to adopt it. Okay. I'm going to come public with this because I just thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> I think so, it's very funny. <laughs> so Facebook would uh, let me know when someone was having a birthday. And if I didn't know that person, I figured the best birthday gift I could give them was to unfriend them on Facebook. <laughs> That's a great system. Yeah, you're welcome. Happy birthday. <laughs> nice never knowing you. Uh, I would get texts from you, such and such a person's having a birthday today. And I would be like, okay, I know what that means. <laughs> I've never heard that name in my cream puff. I guess you're going to unfriend them. I've gotten to the point where everybody who's on my friend list now because you've had a f- more than a full 365 to to cleanse the list. Correct. Correct. And and so everyone who's on my list now, congratulations. We are friends. I don't think I'm on your list anymore. And I did have a birthday in June. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so so what did Billy have to say about this problem? You are the sort of the social media guy behind the whiskey exchange, but you're also because of that because it's an online shop, obviously you've got three shops now? Uh, two shops. Two, sh- two shops, but two one just shops, opened. Yeah. yeah, one just opened in uh, just north of Oxford Street in London. Yes, so, yeah, um, Ollie took me there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but very, you, very pretty. You are the, you're the voice box of the Whiskey Exchange. Scary, it seems, yes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Is that pressure? a little bit there so um, uh, so I look after our Twitter accounts and our Facebook accounts um, so I have a colleague of mine who I work with who also looks after Twitter and Instagram and yeah. uh, Facebook and things but for most of the last seven years I have been sort of the voice mm-hmm. of the Whiskey Exchange through social media things and if you email us a question through Facebook it's probably me who answers but yeah <laughs> um, but no it, it, it's, it's a weird thing to try and create a tone for yes. what we're trying to say yes. because we're trying to talk about so many different things and so generally you know, we just try and be like as we would do in person Yeah. and this thing I always talk about is that uh, in our shops we have the opportunity of uh, people speaking to our staff you know we have fantastic people in our shops mm-hmm. who really know what they're talking about and online we also have people who know what they're talking about but you don't have so much opportunity to chat with them Interesting. so it's trying to connect trying to create the the in-shop experience online it's a very very weird place to be and so it means i just talk a lot of rubbish about whiskey with people through facebook 
Right, and I was going to bring that up because you seem to be so entrenched that your own personal page can get a bit worky. And I don't mean to say that in a negative way, but it seems as if it's inescapable because people know who you are and they, they just, you're friends with everybody on Facebook. This, this ongoing weird thing of uh, in my entire life so far, I don't have a concept of a work-life balance. I, I, I have a, I, I, I am me. I exist. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. back in, I started the Wish Exchange um, seven years ago, back in 2011. Before that, I was a computer programmer working in the city in London, working yes. on financial data. And so I was a financial data guy. Mm-hmm. And my hobby was the joys of social media and how that worked. Yeah. And writing about, occasionally about booze. Mostly mm-hmm. I wrote about food. Yes. And then somebody said, well, you should probably write about booze. You're, 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 you do that quite well. There was Cowfish, right? Indeed. Yeah. Cowfish is my, my name online um, yeah. um, since about 1997. Oh, shit. Uh, so my, my email address just passed 20 years old, which is quite <laughs> scary. <laughs> is it That's, Cowfish at something or is it Billy at Cowfish? Uh, okay. Please do not email me. Um, uh, but the, um, <laughs> I'll beep that out. <laughs> but uh, the, the glorious thing is, you know, uh, it was given to me as a, uh, I was a computer programmer, I was a tech guy, and so Calfish.org UK was my, a present from some friends of mine at university yeah. for my uh, 19th birthday. Okay. <laughs> and it's stuck since then. Cal- <laughs> People use stop words. So when yes. you're talking, you just like randomly drop in words yes. you know, and ums and ahs. I'm dropping cow, fish, and cheese with my three words. I just randomly just dropped into things. <laughs> and it just it made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and so because of this, they, they call yeah. me cowfish became this thing. Yeah. And so it became my... And it, and the cowfish is a real thing. Yes. And so it's a bottom beaning fish. And it's also a burger bar in, I do believe, uh, Long Island and also in... Orlando. Uh, Orlando, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I walked buy it last year with my yeah. wife and kids and um, so th- th- I need to go and visit oh, Charlotte as well because uh, I need to go to Charlotte at some point in time because they have a very nice train there that I need to ride to New York but uh, I've, I've been told that if I go there I might get a free burger because I redirect a lot of communication <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> because I'm cowfish on Twitter and have been oh, for, since Twitter started oh, okay and so people you know, had a fantastic burger and some sushi at cowfish it's like, um, I live in London, and my sushi's crap. So <laughs> my burgers are quite good. Oh, right. But, um, I've heard that about you. They're, they're, they're not. They're pretty really bad. But um, So, yeah, this, this weird online persona has developed over the last, um, you know, 20-some years. Yeah. Because I'm a computer science student when I was at university from 1996. So I've been, I basically lived online for most of the yeah. last, well, half of my life. And so this glorious thing of people sort of like talking about whiskey and things online is I'm there you know Mm. I'm I'm embedded I am a very much a whiskey geek who happened to get a job in the community so that's wild so I I still talk crap online and uh, (laughs) quite a lot speaking of problems Jason I didn't come here today to speak about problems but we've really covered quite a few of them you know I think life is filled with problems are they opportunities, Joshua? Yes. A door closes, one opens. <laughs> a door closes, a window opens. Right. It's always drafty in your house. I don't know why. I don't have anything clever or funny to say there. <laughs> you could say our energy bill's really high. Our, no, it's not. You know why? Because we have installed solar, my friend. Is that why you keep opening <laughs> doors and closing windows and vice versa? 
if anybody's looking for solar, let me know your name and then I can suggest you to Tesla and then you could be one of my five people that I can put saying as a referral. Let me know. I'm up for that. Just have to buy a house first. Yep. Questions at OneNationUnderWhiskey.com. Jason. (laughs) I'll email you. (laughs) So a problem arose last year. Was it last year or was it earlier this year? When all of the sudden, out of the blue, not a single UK online shipper could ship to the US. It's happened a couple of times, yeah. It's happened a couple of times in the last year to 18 months. But this time seemed uh, worse than the previous. Seemed like the end times. This is the end. My only friend, the end. I look forward to hearing that clip and Sarah to hear. Yeah, so so from the perspective of, of Billy, and actually not even from Billy's perspective, I was curious to know what happened there. If he, if he knew the details of why shipping had stopped and if they're doing anything to to turn the beat around. I'll also give this clip a little bit of context because okay. in hanging out with Billy the other night in London, he was telling me, yeah, Josh and I were sitting down, we we're just chatting away, we we're having a great little conversation about whiskey. And then he asked me this question about business that isn't necessarily my realm. And I had to kind of gather myself and answer this question <laughs> that came out of nowhere. I said, yeah, that's also how we do it. He's a smart man. He's got to expect that question to come out. Well, here's the answer from a smart man. But sometime last year, and this happened to all online shops, shipping to the U.S. stopped. Yep. And... For some online shops, I'm, I'm, I'm sure for your, yourself included, it was a massive, massive hit. And there, there were a lot of people who didn't fully understand what happened, why it happened. And I think you still do ship to the U.S., but only a certain number of states. And, yeah. and I'm curious, you know, if you wanted to take a little time just to talk about the ins and outs of that. I don't know the exact details. I have many rumors from various different people but the shipping agent that pretty much everybody in the UK used for various reasons couldn't ship anymore Um, and I I don't know the the exact details of that but there was some potential dodginess and things going on but um, since then we have been working with various couriers around the US Mm -hmm. and the Whiskey Exchange to try and fix that for every single state yeah and unfortunately shipping to the u.s is hard it's one sorry (laughs) you are forgiven (laughs) but no it it, it claims to be one country but it's not the way the u.s works when it comes to shipping things is very much a a federation of countries which is it is yeah yeah Uh, the whole point of the usa you know is it is united states and the individual states have their own very very specific rules and we do what we can, mm. but uh, so we're working our way through. But it's not only the US; it's you know around Europe as well. Is it okay? Yeah, and with potential Brexity things happening in the future, I can see lots of joy happening on that front as well. But we oh, are yeah. we are working always uh, to try and make sure we can maximise the places we can deliver to. Yeah. We're a shop. We 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 like yeah. to you know make money and yeah. also ship things to people all around the world. So yeah. as much as we can do, we we focus on trying to 
make sure we can always ship to as mm. many places as possible. Mm-hmm. The US has always been difficult, and we've been quite pleased with the fact that we've been very good at shipping to the US. But last year's been hard, <laughs> so right. we're working on it. Yeah. On our website, we, have, we used to have a list of these are the states we can't ship to. Yeah, we now have a list of these are the states we can ship to. Yes, and that's the sort of way it's gone. But well, it's a bit of a positive spin on a crappy situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's we will do what we can. Yeah, we continue to work on it. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's even like uh, within Europe, Scandinavia and Germany were very difficult a few years ago. We fixed that. Uh, Finland, unfortunately, we still can't ship to because Finland are being just weird, but we're working on it. Uh, okay. Ireland, about six months ago, we couldn't ship to Ireland for a while, and we now fixed that as well. Northern so, Ireland as well? Uh, Northern Ireland, not so much, because it's yeah. part of the UK, yeah, so okay. it's, it's all included, yeah. but uh, Southern Ireland, uh, we couldn't. Okay. But now we can. Yeah. So the US is just considered to be another situation where we can try and fix it as best we can. Mm. A little later in the episode, we will have Billy coming back with a misconception that he presented to us. And that's part of the raw footage I haven't even listened to. Yeah, you haven't listened to it. So I'm going to hear this for the very first time on this episode. Yes. Awesome. I'm going to join our listeners in this. (laughs) It's a good one, right? I recall it being a damn good one. You haven't listened to it in the raw footage either? I, you know what? I listened to it when I interviewed him. And like much that happened at Maltstock, <laughs> don't remember it. <laughs> Can't wait to be there next year. I'm packing three <laughs> livers. <laughs> but a big thanks to, to Mr. Billy Abbott. Yeah, always a good lad. Always a good lad. Yeah. It was just good to, to speak with him, get him down on wax, but... Seeing him hanging out with him was was a blast. Yeah, it's great seeing him in Glasgow. Great seeing him in London. It's great seeing him at whiskey festivals. Uh, if anyone sees him when they're out, uh, be sure to go up and introduce yourself and uh, let them know that you two are a big fan of Mr. Billy Abbott. Mm-hmm. What do we do next? What are we talking about next? Someone better go wake up the paper boy. I think I may have discovered a new way to wake him up. Are you going to give him a wet willy? <laughs> Uh, nope, I'm going to do this. Good morning. I'm here. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, extra. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Me and that Playboy. Is there big news? Do we have big news to share? Not actually big news. We certainly have some updates. Yeah. We have been out on the road meeting with our packaging specialist Mm -hmm. for the Great Isla Swim Bottle. That's right. And we shared a lot of ideas. We really came away with a lot of samples. Mm -hmm. That package, trying not to give any of the game away, that package is going to be quite special. If yes. if the ideas that we had and they had really come together, uh, we also got to see the bottles that are now mm-hmm. filled, mm-hmm. Uh, corked and waxed. Yes, sir. And we got to see our Cory Vrecken bottled and corked and waxed. Yes. And both of those are looking very, very good. Very lovely. So I think that we're making good progress there. We're a little bit behind. Uh, there was ah, a, you're being nice. I think we're a lot a bit behind, yeah, but that's just the impatient guy in me. Yeah, well, well, the people that own the bottles are quite impatient as well. So, <laughs> woo-hoo. Um, 
but the progress is being made. Uh, we had a, a bottling delay. We've had a packaging delay. Uh, but, you know, with all of these problems come opportunities, I have learned this episode. <laughs> and instead of being pessimistic, I will be optimistic that it is coming together and people are going to be happy with us. Oh, without a doubt. And in speaking with our new packaging company, and I say new because we were working with one packaging company who, once they presented their packaging to us, we realized what they wanted to do is not even close to what we needed. And what we need, they couldn't provide, so they had to hand it over to a new packaging company. So I tell you, looking at what they do, absolutely fantastic. I'm so excited. And they know that we needed these boxes last week. So they're going to work very diligently to to get this done. Yeah, excited to see the the samples, excited to have the final product, and excited to get it shipping. So it's coming together. Yeah. A little bit of a delay, but almost there, almost over the finishing line. So there are a couple of Jubilee Chicago things that I want to mention here, which, by the way, it is on Thursday, November 8th. And uh, we, we do still have some tickets available. So if you don't have your ticket or tickets yet, please go ahead and purchase them. We are just about a month away. So it's, it's getting close. Uh, do not hesitate because as with all other Jubilees, we will sell out. Yeah, I think right now we're maybe down to the final 100 tickets or so for a 450 attendee event. Yeah, yep. So it's already got great attendance in the room. We know for a fact as soon as it sells out, everybody comes out of the woodwork looking for tickets. So don't delay. Yep. Get your ticket, whiskeyjubilee.com. And if you are hesitant to buy a ticket, why don't you put this in your pipe and smoke it? As a Whiskey Jubilee ticket holder you have the opportunity to get free entrance into two different Whiskey Jubilee Week events that we're hosting. Now, these are limited seating, so it will be first come, first served. Uh, The first is on Tuesday, November 6th, and that is at uh, Fountainhead, Chicago. Great spot. Yep. And we are doing a Sweet Verse Pete event. We're going to have... Sweet Verses Pete. Sweet Verses Pete. We will have Scott Harris from Catoctin Creek. Great, great guy. Interviewed not too long ago for this episode, along with his wife, Becky. Mm-hmm. Pouring against or with, depending on yeah, name. I, I don't like against in I whiskey. I, no. I don't like against. Okay. That doesn't speak you to like the community. With? I love with. Okay. With, girth. How are you on length? I'm all right. Don't want to brag. <laughs> he will be pouring with the good Ali Chilton of Port Escape. Just mentioned. Yeah. Come along. Bring your Tabasco Cask Westland with you. <laughs> And so uh, hoping, I wouldn't say assuming, given the time of year, but I would say hoping it's not too cold, hoping it's not snowing. Uh, the event will be on the, <laughs> the rooftop of Fountainhead and we'll have up-down cigars there too. So it'll be cigars with rye whiskey and Port Eskeg peated Isla malt scotch whiskey. And that will be a really fun event. And I think... The venue can hold about 50 people, 50, 60 people. So a fair amount, but still, uh, it sold out last year when we had Malcolm Waring at Fountainhead, and, and that sold out really quickly. And if you're a Jubilee ticket holder, you get in for free. If you're not, it's it's a $10 entry fee. So uh, so get, a, get yourself a ticket. 
And then the second event it will be a live podcast recording at Warehouse Liquors, where we will have the good Mickey Heads from Ardbeg. That blows me away. Yeah. I am incredibly honored yeah. that we're going to get to spend some time with him. Yeah. Yep. Master. And ask him our usual stupid questions. Yeah. Now, is he, the, is he the master distiller or is he the... Uh, distillery manager? Yeah, distillery manager. Yeah, distillery manager. Can't wait to waste his time. <laughs> I know you'll be wasting his time. However, I will be filling his time with glory. <laughs> and, and dick jokes. And dick jokes. <laughs> Uh, so that's the Jubilee news. How, how did we get, again, just have a conversation on the podcast. Yeah. How did we get Mickey Heads? You know Dan Kroll? Yeah, yeah, good lad. Yeah, yeah. So Dan Kroll, he is basically the Midwest Glenmore and Giard bag guy. Uh-huh. And he one, did a master class for us the at the first, first Chicago Jubilee. And it was a Glenmorangie master class. Yeah, yes, and it was. And he reached out to us just to see if there was any opportunity to to do a Whiskey Jubilee Week event. He said, I got Mickey Heads and I really want to make him a part of, huh. a bigger part of Whiskey Jubilee. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Dan's a good guy and he's a drummer. Sorry to hear that. Uh, we've talked about putting a band together. Oh gosh, you don't have time. You have to say no, Joshua. You have to say no. I'm saying no on your behalf. No. You don't have time for this. Dan, sometime I'd like to play music with you. I'll allow a one-off Practice, concert, that's it. That's it? That's all allowed. Dan, we could do one practice and one concert. <laughs> Mickey Heads, a live podcast. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. But seating on that will be quite limited. We'll only be able to actually, there won't be seating. It'll be 30 to 35 people. There are like two like long bar stands upstairs. Oh, okay. And so people will be hanging out on bar stands and... And just standing while we do it. And they won't be standing long. It'll be about an hour, hour and a half <laughs> podcast. So they can do it. You're, you're standing drinking Ardbeg whiskey with Mickey heads. You won't be thinking about your feet. Are we going to taste through some things on the podcast? Some Pope shit in the woods? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Only when hiking? I'm not sure the answer to this. So... For our Vatican listeners, uh -huh. I apologize for my Jewish friend here. <laughs> that's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. yeah I yeah, can't yeah. wait. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's good news. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Should we move to bad news? <laughs> that's all I've got. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you just saved the good news for once we're recording the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen Mickey since... Um, since the, the last night of the Great Isla Swim. That's right. At the Arbeg Distillery. Mm -hmm. And... He was moving house, and so I appreciate his time when he came out to welcome the swimmers home. Do you know where he moved house to? The other side of... The next house over. <laughs> I think he moved from one house to the next house, to the house sitting next to it. That has to be a question that we ask him at the yeah, live we'll podcast. Have to ask him. We'll have to ask him. Uh, maybe that'll be our opening with him. <laughs> awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, any other news you want to get to, or is that a couple... No. Couple items. Yeah, I, I think that's it. Yeah. yeah Some Great Isla Swim updates and then the Jubilee updates. Yeah, that works. Awesome. Uh, we did get some emails coming in. We did. Which I was very excited about. We did. Did you want to, seeing as you, you are so good at, uh, at reading things and... Well, I, you know. I will say oh. that we 
bumped into Philippe Fanavong. That's right. In Glasgow. Yes. Speaking of people who have emailed us, he has been a, a tremendous uh, fan and supporter of what mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah. And we got to bump into him in Glasgow and buy him a, buy him a drink. Yeah, it's, it's funny, too, because we bumped into him at the Ben Nevis. And, you know, it was just you and me and David Sterk walking in. And Philippe was there. And we're looking for seating. And Philippe says, hey, Joshua, if you want this seat, you could take it. <laughs> like, look over it. And, and there he is. And now, so I, we've seen Philippe online but what I had forgotten is that I met him initially in San Francisco when, when release number three launched. We did a tasting at uh, at Whiskey Shop San Francisco, mm. and he was one of a couple of people, Elliot Kahn being the other one, who just stuck around and asked questions and drank whiskey, and it was just a tons of fun to to talk with and, and hang out with. So I don't have the email on my phone. <laughs> I've got the email on my phone. Perfect. All right. And it starts off with Philippe just says, hey, great running into you and and so on and so forth. But he had a question for you, Jason. Uh Do you want to read what that question is? Paragraph two, speaking of Jason. Oh, no. Oh, no. This makes me nervous. (laughs) Speaking of Jason, we had a side conversation about interviewing whiskey bar owners in America. And he was interested in talking to a friend of mine in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm Mm-hmm. Carl Dorneman co-owns four restaurants, bars in the Norfolk area and has a strong passion for all whiskeys. He's a great guy with a big personality, so he'll be happy to tell you how he sees it from his perspective in the industry. He's also working to start up his own bourbon distillery in Norfolk. I reached out to him and he'd be happy to talk about his experiences in the industry. I also think he would bring an interesting perspective coming from an owner in a state where the bars also have to buy from the state stores. That's interesting. That's a very, very good point. It so, sounds a little bit like the Canadian model, well, the, yeah, the Alberta model. The Alberta model. So let me let me chime in here. I think Philippe will be happy to know we've actually been working on a bar owner's podcast, right? You interviewed Christopher Grombeck. Correct. Right? Barrel Thief in Seattle. Correct. I've got an I've got two different interviews with bar owners in Chicago. Uh, Aaron Zacharias from Fountainhead, which we mentioned a little bit before in the in the news, yep. and then uh, Mike Miller from Delilah's. Correct. And I want to add in Bill Thomas from Jack Rose Dining of Saloon course. in DC. Yeah, that's a no brainer. No brainer. And then I'd also like to add in Andrew Abramson, who I first met when he was running. Seven Grand LA. Oh, okay. And then he moved to Austin, Texas. And he opened up Seven Grand Austin. Right. And given that Seven Grand in LA, great whiskey selection, Mm -hmm. we were the only independent bottler on their shelves. I love that. Why why is that? Do they... They liked us. They liked what they were doing. I, I also think there was a little bit of that older feeling that independent bottlers were the knockoff Rolexes of the uh, whiskey world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so in meeting us and tasting us, putting us on their shelves made great sense to them. Yeah. Then they became champions of ours. Yeah, yeah. And so, so yeah, I'd love to follow up with Andrew and see what he's seen between LA and Austin mm-hmm. and and hear from him the challenges uh, involved in that. Yeah, it's so. amazing how they, they all have different approaches to what makes their whiskey bar 
stand out. Yep, exactly. And they all have different issues that they deal with, like this guy in Norfolk who has to buy from a store, which just sounds mental. Exactly, exactly. You know, you have to expect people to come out to your establishment to drink stuff that they could have bought for less money mm-hmm. in a store, taken home and consumed with friends. Yeah. You know, what, what's the draw? What brings people out mm. to your establishment? That's a, that's a big it's a big ask. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll follow up with him as well. That'd be fantastic. Cool. That'd be a good episode once it gets done. So we also got an email from a gentleman by the name of Kiefer. And it's not Sutherland. This is not Jack Bauer. How often does he get that? He must get that a lot. Do you think people come to him and they're doing like, are they doing the Stand By Me impressions? Is it Lost Boys? Is it Jack Bauer? (laughs) Right? Is it Dark City? (laughs) Right? I mean. Donker Donker Frankenstein. Tonker Frankenstein. Wasn't he also in, uh, in... I might be thinking of Kenneth Branagh, to be honest. I mix Twin up Peaks? the two all the time. Was he in Twin Peaks? Kiefer Sutherland in Twin Peaks. Someone call Peaks. him a towhead? Hmm. You've got me on that one. Well, the fact of the matter is it's not Kiefer Sutherland. Ah. Uh, it's his cousin, Kiefer Johnson. <laughs> How, why would they be cousins with the same first name but different last names? Identical cousins. <laughs> Fraternal? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All jesting aside, uh, we yeah. got an email from... Sorry for that riff, Kiefer. <laughs> <laughs> Word ideas. You emailed us. I apologize. Uh, it's from Kiefer Johnson, and I love the way he opens it. He says, <laughs> hello, Jansenua. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I combined your name so that it would not be unfair in regards to whose name was first. Even though my name's clearly first in the portmanteau. No. Is that uh, a J-A, not a J-O? Then I'm first. Thank you. He says, I am a newer but avid fan of Single Cast Nation One Nation Under Whiskey. I was introduced to you through the One Nation Under Whiskey podcast. After listening to one episode, I went back and began listening to every episode and have almost completed every episode of the podcast. Among several whiskey slash bourbon podcasts, I listen to One Nation Under Whiskey, and it is my favorite. Thank you very much. That's wonderful that. to that's, hear. Thank that's, you. Thank you. Yeah. And he, by the way, Jason, is an incredibly lucky man. He says, I was also able to obtain both recent bottles of the Wild Turkey release from Rick Houses, K and D. Good grief. He says they're fantastic. I'm very happy to hear he opened them and tasted them. That is why we sell them for $101 a bottle. To, to which opened and tasted. To which he goes on to say, side note, I was sad to see the amount of outrage over the <laughs> wild turkey release you did. I think many whiskey fans have lost sight of what makes whiskey such a great thing. While I love the spirit itself with so many amazing tastes and profile, it is certainly my favorite thing to imbibe. However, my favorite part of whiskey is the people and the experiences that I have when the whiskey, when good whiskey is present. While I love to hunt out and try my hand at getting all the great whiskey available, I also know there are often limited bottles and many people chasing them. I'm always understanding when retailers, producers, independent bottlers handle a release responsibly and fairly as you have done, and I still don't get a bottle. (laughs) That's a magnanimous approach, and I greatly appreciate it. It is. It is. And he, he goes on saying all sorts of wonderful things. But so I'll move on. He says, anyway, I'm writing to ask you some questions about your retail releases. 
While I continue to watch your online space and have seen many good bottles there, I'm also interested in retail bottles. I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. I believe in a past podcast or maybe your website, I heard that you would soon be distributing to Tennessee. I'm very good friends with a local store manager here and would love who would love to carry your product, and I would love to see it in their store. Can you tell me which distributor uh, he should be reaching out to to carry your retail line? And then he goes on to talking about you know which which bottlings he would want and, and so forth. But to answer your question, Kiefer, we are not in Tennessee, and I don't know when we will be in Tennessee. And here here are the reasons why. Tennessee as a state, as far as their distribution goes, they have what's called legacy. Is that, do I have that term right, Jason? Legacy franchise. Legacy franchise, yeah. So basically, if you sign on with distributor A and they are not doing a good job for you, you can't leave distributor A. You're stuck with them. So we've been hesitant to sign on with a distributor because we don't want to get locked into something that that may work from the outset, but then turn into something that, that doesn't work for us at all. So we will start talking with distributors, I think sometime in 2019. Uh, but our hope is that we'll find, find one that will allow us to review the relationship yearly to see, you know, is this working for us? Is it working for them? They just may find that this product isn't working for them, that maybe it's something their sales reps have a tough time selling and don't want to sell it because they're going to make more money selling wine or, you know, something like that. So we just want to make sure that getting in bed with the distributor, we're getting into bed with the right person. Yeah. One of the interesting things you hear about legacy states is that it, it can really cut both ways. Uh, to put on my Jason pessimistic hat, you can have it where a distributor will sign up a brand mm-hmm. and do nothing with it. Just sit on it. Wait for it to go large nationally, internationally, and then really use it as a bargaining chip mm-hmm. to get another brand from another distributor yeah. within the state who comes looking for the, the big successful one. Yeah. To put on the Joshua optimistic hat, um, if you were the distributor and you were working your tail off with a brand Mm -hmm. and you helped to make it successful, that brand can't just walk in the door and say, thanks for all your work. We're going to move over here now uh, and go to this nationally recognized distributor with with all the money and all the marketing budget yeah so so i understand it both directions and and the only hope we would have as a producer is that we could meet the right distributor Mm -hmm. who understood we're not looking to take advantage of your hard work we're hoping you won't take advantage of our hard work and have a kind of a common meeting ground and that takes time yep Yep. So so while yes we'll 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 get there. I have no doubt about it. Nashville's a tremendous city. Uh doing doing business in Nashville yeah. is an absolute pleasure. And knowledgeable whiskey folk. Yeah, it's Tennessee. Yes, you imagine there to be a kind of a lot of bourbon in there, a lot of American whiskey in there. Yeah. Uh still a lot of interest in rums, still a lot of interest in single malt scotchies. Okay. And so I, I'm always eager to get back down there. Okay. Uh, yeah, one of the things that he's hoping 
to find is the is the mezcal bottling, and my guess is that will not be showing up in Tennessee. So, if you can find the mezcal bottling at a shop once it once it does go out onto retail shelves, if you can find it in a place that will ship to you or ship to your aunt in another state that can ship to you. Kiefer sounds like a good guy. He probably goes to visit his aunt. You think so? I do. I've, he's, he's a Kiefer Johnson. There's no doubt he's going to visit his aunt in another state. I think you're right. He sounds like a good lad. Yeah. Do remember, though, there are two Metzcals. And yes. one of them will be for sale on singlecastnation.com. Mm-hmm. And then we'll also have the one going into retail. There will be 700 bottles nationwide. Yes. Our, our fans, followers, supporters, listeners should have a good opportunity to grab one of those 700 mm-hmm. from from some store in some state that'll ship to them. Yeah. That would be the hope, at least. Yeah. Or we'll ship to their aunt, and they can collect it when they go to visit her. Everybody seems to have a good aunt. I see what you did there. <laughs> I'm in Glasgow. If anyone else wants to reach out to us, they can email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. If they want to say pose a question on our on our Facebook group page, how, how would they do that? Well, they would either go to facebook.com or to their Facebook app and go to the search bar and look for the One Nation Under Whiskey group, and they can pose questions there. They can tweet at us at One Nation Whiskey. They could Instagram us at One Nation Under Whiskey, and whiskey Jason is uh, is always without the e. Um, so just don't use that. They can find you at Joshua Hatton on nope, Facebook. No, nope, no. Nope. They can ask you questions nope. just by direct messaging nope, you. No, nope, no, nope, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. If your birthday was in September, now would be the perfect time to friend Joshua on Facebook because you will get to be friends with him for 11 full months. <laughs> <laughs> we have a misconception before we get out of here. We do. Do we or... Does Billy have that? We're going to turn it over to Billy. There's no doubt about that. But it does remain our podcast, and somehow we remain in charge of it. And the organizing and the editing of the segments is still on us. It is. So we are going to hand this over to Billy Abbott for a misconception. Together. Again. As always. (laughs) It's the age of whiskey. Because whiskey is a combination of so many different things. And there is this ongoing thing of older whiskey is better whiskey. Mm-hmm. Older whiskey is older whiskey. That's, that's all it is. It's and more expensive whiskey. Older whiskey is more expensive. The fact that it's more expensive upsets me as well because I know how much it costs to store a thing for a year. Exactly. doesn't cost very much. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's the way we subsidize the cheaper stuff. Anyway, moving on, yeah. But, um, <laughs> do not look behind the curtain. But uh, the young whiskey can be a fantastic thing. I'm sitting here drinking at the moment Elements of Isla Pete yeah. P45 so not only young whiskey but it's young whiskey dropped to 45% mm. uh, from 57.9 or whatever yeah. it is I'm, the fact I remember that is worrying but um, it is a young feisty punchy dram and you don't get that with older whiskey you don't? no because older whiskey is a very different profile because it's a different thing and yeah. The fact is, I like this whiskey as much as I like older whiskey. And 
this constant thing within the whiskey world of oh how old is it and no age statement whiskey is popping up more recently yeah I understand do you have an issue with that the thing about it is it's trust yeah it's all about trust for me because the whiskey companies have over time eroded the trust they had with the public Mm. Mm-hmm. And so, with some whiskies, NES people just say, "Oh, it must be young. It must be awful." It's like, well, no. It's probably actually quite nice whiskey, right. blended across very different ages, blended yeah. to a price point, right? But, but it's creating a very different flavor profile. Exactly. That you couldn't get if it were just all old or if it were just all young. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I do a lot of tastings around blending and other things for various different people. And one of the things I always say is like, you know, single cast whiskies are the easiest things to select. Mm. You just try things and go, that one's nice. We will have that. When you do <laughs> blending, blending is hard. Yeah. Blending, you, you have to understand yes. the flavor profiles and how flavors interact. And it's really difficult. But that's fatting and blending. That's pretty much every whiskey mm-hmm. that's not single cask. And people... Don't, you know, age is just another component yes. in the way yeah. that yeah. whiskey is made. You know, old whiskey is good, young whiskey is good. Yeah. Old whiskey can be absolutely awful. I've tried some whiskies, which we were talking about bottling. Yeah. It's like, you know, should we bottle this? It's like, no. Yeah. It's awful. It's like, well, we can sell it for, you know, 15,000 pounds a bottle. Yeah. Please mm-hmm. don't. It's Please horrible. Because it ruins and, your brand. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, even when it's not our brand, we're you know, branding with but, somebody but, else. But, but still, I mean, it's... But no, it's yeah. one of those ones where you want to bottle good stuff and age is just another component in the way mm. the whiskey put together. You know, this is what Adam on a peak. It's probably maybe six, seven years old. Oh, we're supposed to be in there. Are we? Oh, yeah. Okay. Can continue, though. Well, we have apparently... Mark selected some of the most insane fucking whiskeys oh, for the Cadden that, Heads that, that, thing. That, that, that's the fucking, um, the Cadden Heads. We need to stick in the back in a moment. So, anyway. Yeah, yeah. We'll wrap this one up. So. Yeah, yeah, wrap anyway, it up. Um, so, Pete, six, seven year old whiskey, maybe. But it's whiskey that is at the point where you need to have the flavors that are there. And my big thing yes. about whiskey is it's all about flavor. Yeah. And so, it doesn't matter how old it is, it doesn't matter how young it is, yeah. it's all about creating the flavor profile. And that can be anything from yes. like three years through to 90 years. And somewhere in there, you'll mm. find the different flavor profiles, find the different things, find yeah. the different, you know, the styles. I, I've come in and I'll make this the last thing and then we should really head up there because I'm so curious to know what he's pouring. But you can, I think you can compare whiskey to a person. So now I'll get, it could be a man or a woman, but I'll use a man in this instance. From age zero until 13 or 14, that child is going to be one thing. But all of a sudden, now he's got facial hair, right? Yep. Now he's balding, no, whatever it is. And that's not a cut on you. A little bit, but no. But my point is... I, I had fantastic hair in my youth. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. My point I'm is, happy. a whiskey, just like a person, is just uh, the age of a whiskey, just like a person, all it will do is will indicate what that is at that given time. Yeah. At six and seven years old, that PD whiskey is going to be big, vibrant, juicy, whatever. Fast forward to 28 years old, it's softened out a bit. It's you know, it's the hair's going gray. You know, you know what I mean? It's <laughs> it's 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 those things. And 
And we've talked about it before on the podcast, but age is not an indication of quality. It's an indication of where that flavor profile may lie. And the, the benefit of NAS and the benefit, too, of, of a good blend is that you can use various components to create a potentially more complex whiskey than your 15-year-old, 18-year-old, 20-year-old. Definitely. Yeah. And the big thing for me, though, is just the fact that people don't trust whiskey companies anymore. And so the mm. NAS thing yeah. is the reason why people will complain about it. People say, I don't like it. People, even with blends, it's like, oh, mm. I don't like them. It's because lack of trust of quality. Yeah. The thing so whiskey companies are focused on quality. Mm. That's what they do. If they don't make quality whiskey, they don't sell whiskey. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Unless their branding is yeah. absolutely amazing. But yeah. to be honest, most whiskey companies, no, it's not. No, it's not. And so And sometimes the, in rare cases that's all they have is branding. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's another story. Yeah. For another day, yeah. <laughs> but no, but very much it's all about the flavour and how good it tastes yeah. and how it works. It's very much the thing of you this lack of trust and it's it, it, it's a very cynic we are in a cynical world we, we live in a cynical world increasingly cynical increasingly yeah. so and so people don't believe the folks who are pushing stuff exactly and so in the whiskey world we're hearing it we're hitting it as much as anybody else mm. and it's, I would say in general apart from a few exceptions which I will not mention right now mm-hmm. yeah, generally whiskey's really good yes more than ever these days. More than ever. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. But there's so many people who just don't trust the whiskey makers and say, oh, and they ask, yeah. yeah. Trust them more. You know, g- give up some of your cynicism and believe a bit. And yeah. yeah, there's some fantastic whiskey out there. Really, really good spirit. And it's great stuff to drink. Thanks again to Billy for making the time to talk with Joshua yeah. at Maltstock. I know it's a busy time. I know it's a drunken time. Uh, sometimes you've got to try and squeeze these interviews in between drinking and attending master classes. Yes. And so the fact that Billy's a good lad and he made that kind of time, very mm-hmm. much appreciated. I'm sure the two of you were drinking all the way through the interview. Yeah, we had we had some of that elements of Isla Pete. Mm. And I think someone else at one time came by with something else. People, people, just, people even drop off drams while you're conducting interviews? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to be there. First weekend of next September. Don't forget. I think this wraps it up for us, uh, big boy. I think we got to go out on the town in Glasgow now. We do. This is this is my last night. This is it. This is the end. I mean, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> you mean I won't have to... Listen to your finger cracking, oh, skin gosh. scratching, toe oh, tapping, geez, body yeah. moving, mm-hmm. song singing, yeah. Yeah. dad joke oh, telling. <laughs> that's the good part. That, that's the part that gets you smiling. Uh, you'll be home by the time this goes live, and I will be too. I tell you, I miss my wife. I miss my kids. I haven't seen my kids in like two weeks. And as have I with mine. I was going to say I haven't seen your kids in two weeks, but it's been much longer since I saw your kids. Well, safe travels home, my friend. Thank you, sir. And happy editing on the plane. Thank you, sir. Cheerio. Cheerio. Chin, chin. Two chins. Clank, clank, clank. Bing, bong. (laughs) 